0: There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better
1: way. You don't have a
0: thing, but face in the crowd. Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man view the changing world, the changing times. The things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line, from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Uh, today I have a really great show for you. It's episode 710, July 26, 2011. We have Holly Hurstberg, founder of DinnerGarden.org, standing by on the line, ready to talk to you about growing your own food and the, the value of growing your own food, what it teaches people, and what it teaches children. Uh, Holly's goal and DinnerGarden.org's goal is to plant one garden for every six families in America and help this nation feed itself again. To that end, they've already fed over 65,000 families by providing them seeds and teaching them how to grow their own food versus just providing them money or just providing them food or basic charity. Instead of you know, just helping, they're actually empowering people, kind of following the mantra of give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish, you feed him for his entire lifetime. Before we bring her on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Berkey guy at directive21.com. That's directive, the number two, and then the number one, and then a dot and a com. What are you going to get from the Berkey guy? Surprisingly enough, the primary thing you're going to find at his website is Berkey Water Filtration Systems. And you know what? Of our five primary survival needs, right at the top of the list is water. That means we need to make sure we're drinking the best quality water that we can in good times like right now because there's certain things in our water that I'm really not happy about. Chlorine, I understand why it's there, but I don't like it. And If we can get it out before we drink it, so much the better. Fluoride, I don't even think it belongs in there. It's certainly a toxin and Berkey guy can help you get rid of the fluoride that's in your water as well. Additionally, though, for emergency water filtration in bad times, they are one of the best emergency water filtration systems you can find. And they look great in your home. So they work for you today, they work for you tomorrow, and they look good. They help you live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. So why not add a Berkey water filtration system to your home sometime soon? you want to do that, the best place to get your Berkey product is from the Berkey guy at directive21.com. Next up today, shelfreliance.com. Notice I said shelf, not self. The reason I said shelf is because shelfreliance.com specializes in innovative food storage solutions the things that you can use to store the food that you eat and eat the food that you store. It really makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. The food racks that they provide you allow you to come home from the market, maybe you bought three cans of a particular food, you put them in the top, they go to the back of the line so to speak and everything else is down there at the bottom. Every time you grab a can out for your cooking and daily living, you're pulling the oldest can out and then you're rotating your stock continuously. They're also the makers of the Thrive brand of long-term storage foods. Thrive is uh, some of the best tasting long-term storage food I have ever found. It's food you'd be happy to feed your family any day. And that is the kind of food that you want to store for an emergency, folks. You don't want to be in the middle of an emergency, be it an acute emergency that lasts a couple of weeks like an ice storm or a long-term major emergency where you're actually going to live off your stores for a month or more and have to eat food that you don't really like and have to get your kids to eat food that they don't really like. So check out the Thrive brand of long-term storage food. Pick up a few different items. Try them out. Go ahead and open them up and use them, and I think you'll find that it is food you'd be happy to feed your family any day. Then pick the stuff you like the best and start adding it to your long-term storage plan. Next up today, remember to connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Those are my primary social media outlets. Make sure you check out the Survival Podcast Forum. Also, make sure you check out our gear shop. We have some cool new stuff in there. We have sheets for the uh, Swiss Army knives. We still have some of the uh, TSP uh, Special Edition Swiss Army knives. Uh, We've got the new coffee mugs, new French press mugs. They are awesome. They are a big improvement over the old ones. Lots of great stuff there. So get on by the gear shop and check that stuff out. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members uh, and remember if you are a member of a law enforcement organization past uh, prior service or active duty military prior service or active duty or if you previously served in the peace corps you qualify for a service level discount email me before you join and i will give you the discount code just tell me a little bit about what you did who you worked for when you were there that type of thing just so i know who i'm dealing with and with that let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we do have Holly Hirschberg on the line with us today. Holly is the founder and director of the Dinner Garden. Holly, thank you so much for joining us today on the Survival Podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me on.
0: Well, you know, I was telling you when we were chatting before we uh, got on on the air together that – I found you from a listener. I don't remember which listener it was, but somebody saw you. I think they saw the CNN story and sent it to me. And I played your entire interview uh, with, with, or their little video piece on the air, and people were like, you got to get this lady on, so we immediately hit you up and, and you're here now. But for folks that maybe didn't catch that episode, can you tell people what is the dinner garden?
1: Well, Dinner Garden is a nonprofit. We're based in San Antonio, but we are national. And what we do is we fight hunger not by giving away food; we give away seeds and teach people to grow their own food.
0: That's really awesome. And I, you know, I've talked about programs like this before. And somebody actually doing it, and I didn't know you guys were doing it, or I would have been just sending people to you. Here's one <laughs> of the objections that I've heard from people, and I know this isn't true, but I, you know, because since you're dealing with it, you're helping feed families. I'd like you to answer this. I get people that are kind of negative sometimes and say you know the people that are out there the, you know they're on welfare or whatever, and if you give them seeds they, they, they just, they're not going to do anything, but you guys are making a difference. you're seeing people that are hungry to, to to get an opportunity to do this and for the knowledge right
1: well, you know what we have seen are that people really want to make their lives better for their families. I think people get kind of uh beaten down is the way I would say it, that everything's always given to them. They don't ever feel like they can work to make anything better, and they feel like the work they put into a lot of things is wasted. With gardening, you can grow and succeed pretty easily, and I think people want to make their lives better for their family. They want to lift their families up, and when they realize that they can do it with just a little bit of effort, then it, it means a lot to them.
0: I absolutely agree with that. And can you talk a little bit about how what you're doing is cost effective in a sustainable solution to hunger?
1: Well, what with the seed packs we send out, when we send out a seed pack to a family, it costs us about $1.72 from start to finish. And that is including postage, including labor, including seeds, including supplies, and we give that to a family. That will grow a garden for a family of four. That family can save the seeds from what they grow and plant them again next season and then save the seeds and plant them the next season. If a family plays their cards right, they can have seeds for the rest of their lives.
0: So let let me get you to give out that monetary figure again. How much does it cost you guys to set up a garden to feed a family of four and do it in a way where, because I guess you're using heirloom seeds and they can save the seeds and do it again and again year after year? $1.72. seventy-two. So a dollar seventy two, yep. you empower a family to. So this is kind of like the the whole, you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, but teach him how to fish and you feed him for the rest of his life.
1: Exactly. We wanted something where we could work ourselves out of a job, where we get people food secure, where they can grow enough food for their family and their neighbors. Some of our gardeners grow and sell it to bring in income for their families. We teach people to garden using things they have around their house. We teach them how to compost so they don't even have to buy fertilizer. When we set up the dinner garden, I thought people can most people have dirt or can find dirt. You can make your own compost with food scraps and yard scraps, and you can always collect water from the rain or a river or something like that. But the thing you have to buy would be seeds. We supply the seeds for free, and you have a complete cycle there.
0: Because that is a big concern. I hear a lot of people tell me but starting a garden up is, is, is really expensive. And, you know, I've done it both ways. I've done it with the really pretty raised beds and stuff like that and, you know, buying some soil amendments and all. But there are very inexpensive ways to get your garden off the ground, right? Well, you know, gardening
1: is just like any other, I guess, hobby where it can cost you as little or as much as you want. I look through those gardening catalogs. They're amazing. They sell compost bins that cost $300. And, yeah, those would be awesome, I'm sure. But, you know, mine's in a trash can. I originally had it in an old uh, Rubbermaid container that I had in my attic and wasn't using. So there are ways you can do it. Yes, a lot of those products make things easier and, like you said, more beautiful. Some of them make things grow better. But you can do it all with what you have. There have been a lot of advances in gardening technology, and it's easier and more time efficient and uses less water than ever before.
0: And, what, like, when you send these packets out, what are people receiving? I know they probably differ because I know you get contributions from seed seed companies and all like that, but, I mean, what are, like, the main crops you, you, like, try to put in every backyard?
1: Well, what we do is we send out between 10 and 12 different varieties of seeds, and we try to get enough in there for year-round growing, depending on where the person lives. We try to do the basics, like tomatoes and peppers, and, you know, people get – uh, most of our gardeners get that – Then we try to throw in, you know, a couple herbs or something that's unusual that they haven't heard of because gardening should be fun, and we want people to discover something new.
0: Very cool there. Um, I got another question for you, though, because, like, I was talking to a grower one time who had a CSA and basically didn't sell out his shares, and he had more food, uh, you know, he had more more food than he could really even give away to all his members, because even your members at a CSA, and for those that don't know, it's community-supported agriculture, where you're basically buying into the production before the season starts, so that you are risk sharing with the farmer. And the farmer was having a bang-up year, and he was taking things like Swiss chard and all this great nutritious food, uh, purple-top turnips and stuff like that, to a food bank. And then to his horror, he found out some of it was going to waste because people didn't know what to do with it because most of the people who were coming to these food banks were used to craft macaroni and cheese and and other things that cause, you know, type 2 diabetes and things like that, great stuff for feeding our kids today. So are you guys also helping people know, like, once you have this food, how to utilize it?
1: Well, you know, that's a new thing that we're starting now at Dinnergarden is we have some videos up, and we're putting up some more in the next couple of days on our website at dinnergarden.org about how to use vegetables. And we put up so far, I think we have how to use a carrot, how to use an onion, how to use, what else do we have, um, a cucumber. You know, we started out, here's the thing, here's how I figured out that this was a problem. I didn't know that. My mother, You know, we've always had fresh vegetables because, you know, we were really fortunate when I was growing up. When we go to events, the Watermelon Board, the people who promote the watermelons, they sent me some flyers that were called How to Cut Up a Watermelon. It's a really nice little flyer. That's the most popular thing we give out at events. People see it and say, oh, I've never known how to cut up a watermelon. And I thought, wow, you know, I've been cutting up watermelons for years. To me, that seems like something everybody knows, but they don't. So we're working on that educational piece. We're trying to get the videos up so people can watch a short, you know, minute, 40-second video and know exactly what to do with the vegetables when we get them. Now, we also work with a group called AmpleHarvest.org. And Ample Harvest is awesome because when you do have the excess produce, like your friend did, they connect you with the closest food pantry, accepting donations of fresh produce. And so you'd be able to get your leftovers to someone right there in your community who's having some trouble with hunger.
0: That, that's awesome. And we'll have to make sure that I get that from you when we're off the air so that I include it in the resource sections for today. And, of course, folks, I'll have links to, uh, to Holly's website, and anything that we come up with today that's a resource for people, I'll make sure they're in the show notes as usual. Um, right. I, I really um, kind of want to talk more about um, the, what you're hearing back from the people that you're providing the stuff to. I'm sure you're getting a lot of feedback from people that maybe thought it was going to be hard and maybe even had a few struggles, but eventually they're finally feeding their family something they're producing themselves.
1: Well, and that's the that's the great thing. We get letters all the time, and they're beautiful. Some of them I have up on the website. I should probably put up more, where people say, you know, I just didn't know how we were going to make it. And then it's just a whole new way of thinking, and it's not even really a new way of thinking. It's an old way of thinking that we're coming back to. And people are saying, in this time of joblessness, when my family was so stressed, this was the one time we were able to relax and be a family when we were out in our garden. Or they'll say, you know, finally, my high blood pressure is under control because I'm eating right. My diabetes is under control. My doctor said he's amazed. You know, those are the testimonies we get where people are learning a new way and doing differently, and it's good. It's that you stop craving the junk when you start eating the good. And when you grow your own vegetables, they're so delicious. that I know in my family, here's how it works. Whoever gets out to the garden first gets to eat what they harvest. And so, you know, we fight to get out there first to who gets the tomatoes because they're so good. And I think that's what a lot of Americans are finding now is they grow their own food and it's really good. And they don't have to say, you know what, I ran out of money. It's near the end of the month. It's okay, though, because I can go out to my garden and pick something and I'll have food to eat and my kids will have food to eat and we can all go to work and to school and function, like, at our peak level. It's wonderful. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I agree there. I, I've been. I've said a lot of my like presentations and things like that, that if we could get the average American family, every single one of them to have at least, at minimum, a four-foot-by-four-foot four raised bed garden in their backyard, we would put most of the psychologists and psychiatrists out of business. Uh, most of the self-help authors would have to go find something else to do, not that I have anything against them, but they would, because when you're doing these things, you're connecting with what I call being a real human being. There's a certain part of us, and I'm not trying to be like real hippie-ish or anything, but we're connected to the planet. And when we put our hands in the soil and we we actually create something for ourselves and our family out of that, we connect with that piece of ourselves. And apart from that, we can't connect with that piece. And then the other thing I I remember is, you know, I started this show three years ago in my car, and I used to drive 50 miles to work and back every day, each direction. So 100 miles round trip every day. And I would come home from work, and I would go straight through the house, and my wife would just be like, don't talk to them. And I'd go out to the backyard, and I'd pull a few weeds, and I'd water the garden, and, or tend to whatever it needs to be. And that would just pull me out of this, you know, like, uh, what would you call it, suburban rage that I was in. <laughs> so I think that the health benefits are so much deeper, like the food's so important, because as we put it in ourselves, but... There's more to it than that. There's an emotional, spiritual, however you define that for yourself, connection. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. You know, what I found, you know, my husband lost his job at the beginning of the recession, and my family was struggling just like everybody else. And I found that when I was the most upset and scared, and I think other people feel this way too, is when I sat in my house and worried. And what people need to do is get out. Get out in that sunshine. Everything's going okay. Things are growing. Neighbors are walking by. The world's still going on. It's not all about it's not all about the bad. I think when people are outside, you know, the sun makes you feel good. You're connecting with your neighbors and your family. And when you're out gardening in your yard, you know, there's a neighbor who's going to come by and want some squash and going to talk to you about gardening memories or something. It gets people really connected with their families and communities, and I love that.
0: You know, and I, I think another part of it is as you're producing that food, there's a cliche that like every man that cares about taking care of his family knows and has probably said at one point in his life. And that is I've got to keep a roof over our heads and I've got to keep food on the table. And you, know, you can cut the grocery bill and do a little bit for the roof, but there's only so much the garden can do about keeping the roof over the head. But 50% of the equation is making sure the family's fed. and there's, and, and that comes from mom and dad, even though men are the ones that are more likely to say it. When you realize that you have the power to feed yourself and your family, it's very liberating, and it's one thing you worry less about, right?
1: Absolutely. You know, I think we all worry about our kids. You know, the people I see, parents are really trying to do what's right by their kids. And one thing that I know as a parent I worry about is when my kids grow up, are they going to be able to support themselves? Are they going to be able to live in a nice place? Are they going to have food to eat? Well, I know that my children will always have food to eat. My children know how to garden. My children know what plants are edible when they walk down the street. So I know, I mean, that's one less thing as a parent I have to worry about because I know my children know when they're hungry, you know what? I have a fig tree I can go eat. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think families are feeling that, that, that relief when they grow their own food.
0: And I think there's a big thing about getting the skill set back, too. And like you said, like, if you able to look at it, and if you know how to cut a watermelon or cut a pepper or cut an onion, you go, duh. But th- this, this knowledge that many of us, just because we grew up with it, take for granted, is being lost. I remember the one time I was at the grocery store, and there was this gal. She's probably 16 years old, you know, and I had a bunch of stuff from the, the, the produce section. And the first thing was like, you know, asparagus, fresh asparagus. You pick your own and, and put it in the bag. And she looked at it, and she goes, I'm sorry, I'm new here. I don't know what this is. And I thought, well, okay, what's this, asparagus? Kids generally don't like that. And I was like, it's asparagus. And then she's like, the next thing, and I'm like, you know, it's parsley. And as we went on, I was just getting more and more depressed, and I'm like, "There's snow peas. you know." And I mean, I was literally depressed to think that a person that grew up in America, which used to be the country that fed the world, wouldn't know what a snow pea was. And she worked at a grocery store. I know she's new, but I mean, you would think, but we do have to either fix this problem by teaching people or accept the damage it's going to do.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I see, I talk to a lot of families who say things to me like, my kids don't eat vegetables. I know we did an event one time and we had it at a Vietnamese restaurant. Oh, their food was so good. I had a mom call me and complain that it wasn't kid-friendly food. And we said, you know, what do you think kids in Vietnam eat? (laughs) They eat this. My kids (laughs) eat this. You know, the thing is, kids will eat vegetables when they grow them themselves, when they have the good stuff. You know, I think they, they're used to growing up on some, um, you know, maybe subsidized food programs or they're not getting the best quality food. And, yeah, it's gross. I mean, I remember we had, uh, you probably had them are growing up, the canned and frozen peas. Yeah. Oh, I can't even stand. Just thinking about it makes me sick. Well, yeah. I went to, uh, to tour a garden at the food bank here in San Antonio. They were so nice. The garden was beautiful. The gardener said, oh, here, fresh peas, have one. And I took it in my hand and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to eat this. What am I going to do? Yeah. It's going to be disgusting. I'm going to, you know. And, man, it was like candy. And I haven't stopped growing peas there. I eat peas all the time. I see them in the store fresh. I'm like, oh, yeah, peas, I've got to get those. And I grow them, and, you know, they're wonderful. And that's the thing. If you don't like vegetables, you haven't met the right vegetable.
0: I, I agree. I, I always find it interesting when anybody says anything like that. I'm like, it's like saying you don't like food. You know, I mean, people that seem to say, I don't like beer. And if you don't drink, I understand. But if you if you drink, you say, you don't like beer. Well, there's like five billion varieties. And with vegetables, there's, you know, there's not as many varieties as there used to be. And, and there's work being done by people to save some of the varieties. But there's so many things out there. And, hey, peas were the favorite uh, food of our second president, Thomas Jefferson. So if it's good enough for Jefferson. I think it's good enough for all of us. But I, I do think that another part of this is, If you eat what I call institutionalized food your whole life, that's all you know and you develop a taste for it. But what I noticed is I was never big into institutional food, but I had my ten years of darkness, as I call it, my slumber, where I was eating fast food and, and, and lots of stuff I really shouldn't have. And when I finally went off it, every once in a while you think back and go, man, that stuff we you know, it's bad for you, but it's really good. And then you decide, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get some. Like last night I decided date night, took the wife out to a movie, and I got some nachos, you know, the gross kind with the yellow cheese and all. And I thought these are Uh going to be good. I ate like probably ten of them, and I got up out of the seat because the movie hadn't started yet. I took them out and threw them in the garbage can because you've convinced yourself that that is what you want to eat. And then with kids, I have a solution. Any parent says kids won't eat what they're supposed to eat. Stop feeding them the garbage. They'll get hungry. And they'll eat. And if they don't eat for a day because they're being stubborn, it's okay. They won't die. Sooner or later, they'll break down and eat the food. And once you feed it to them for a week or two, they won't want the garbage anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we work with so many families whose kids only eat when they get a free meal at school. And my thought on that is, you know, we need to make sure that they're getting the best nutrition possible. You know, as a country, these children are important to us. And if we can get them eating well at home, you know, these kids don't have food on vacation. They don't have food on the weekend. We need to get those kids gardening at home so that everybody has breakfast, everybody has dinner, even mom and dad because they're the ones going out and working. And, you know, I think studies have shown that at the end of the month when the money runs out, mom stops eating. And we need mom to eat because mom is taking care of those kids. Mom is taking care of the family. Mom is having a job. You know, everybody works now. It's not like we have the luxury anymore of people not working. And so we need her to go to work and dad to go to work and everybody to have enough food. And we do that through gardening because there just aren't enough feeding programs, you know. And like they have the programs where kids can go get dinner. And those programs, you know, are wonderful for a lot of families. I want families eating at home together. That's my goal. And I think family is very, very important to me. Um, when my kids were younger, my kids are grown now and have moved out, but when my kids were younger, I wanted them home. I didn't want them going out to eat other places. You know, we needed family time. That's so important to kids' development. And when you have a garden, not only are they eating at home, but they're spending time with mom and dad learning how to garden. You know, this is something the kids can do while mom and dad work. Keep them out of trouble. Teach them a the skill.
0: Yeah. That's than that. Yeah, I agree. And I also think we have a big problem with – we look at a lot of people that are in what we, I guess we'd call our poverty class that are living on assistance programs or things like that, and they're eating the junk food. They're eating the institutional food. And, you know, when I look at that, and, I, and the average American looks at that, they go, well, one thing we say is the person's not hungry is there's a lot of obesity in that group. But I just heard something on TV and I don't remember what show it was. But with the, I think it was might have been The Doctors or something. Something my wife was watching and I was kind of it was in the background for me. But the guy said that 80% of the obese people in America are also malnourished. They're not impoverished from a caloric standpoint, but from a nourishment standpoint, they have a bigger problem than just the obesity. They have deficiencies in all of the actual nourishment and nutrients that they need to have and that's because if you don't have whole foods in your diet you can't get them I don't even I I personally don't even believe it can be done with a with a with a vitamin pill effectively it has to come from food
1: well you know I've heard that too and that's one of the reasons why we love working with Ample Harvest and I talked about them a minute ago they have it set up you know a lot of the food pantries don't have room to store fresh produce. Like you said, they don't have refrigeration, they don't have whatever. Well, Ample Harvest has it set up so that by the time the food arrives, the fresh produce arrives, it goes out that same day. You know, so it gets to a home immediately. And that's how they've set up their whole system. So, um, so you know that people can have those good, good nutritious foods. And a lot of the times the processed foods that people are eating don't have any Vegetables in them or any whole grains or any of those things that are considered essential for building strong bodies and strong brains and people who can think and that's where we end up with people being malnourished. You know, like you said, yeah, sure, the fat and sugar content's really high, people are obese, they have enough food to eat. They have the right kinds of food to build those strong brains, to be able for those kids to go into school and think clearly, for mom and dad to go and advance at their jobs because they're thinking clearly and they have the right kind of food to help them do that.
0: And I don't want to beat up on the school systems or anything too much today, but even when they do have vegetables in what they're cooking, it, it, first of all, it's had all the other crud piled on top of it and cooked into it, and then they cook it so long and so hard and it's been stored in such a way that, any nutrient that was there, and since it mostly comes from big farms today that a lot of times they have, you know, they, they use chemical fertilizer, which I'm not putting the chemical fertilizer down, but if it, if it doesn't get combined with, you know, organic matter, the soils deplete of a lot of the minerals and nutrients and things like that. So the food's already bad to begin with. Then we cook the crud out of it till what was there is gone, and then we pile fat and sugar on top of it, and the vegetables that is in these foods become becomes nothing with filler, and I think it's kind of back to what you were saying about how when the first time you were handed a a fresh pea, you were like, oh, man, I'm going to have to eat this. This is why kids don't want their vegetables today, because a vegetable to a kid is a carrot that looks like a, a faded yellow Crayola crayon, and it's got some greasy, buttery type stuff on it, and it's sitting next to french fries. That's that's what they see as a vegetable, and they actually think that people today actually believe that when you eat your french fries, you're eating your vegetables. A potato may be a vegetable, but I think when we uh, fry it in lard, it ceases to be such.
1: (laughs) Well, here I'll tell you a story about an actual experience I had with the dinner garden, and I won't name names, because it was a good group and they were really trying. We went out to visit a group who had asked us to come out and speak to their students and they, we brought, we do a little exercise when we go visit the kids, and we bring fruits and vegetables out and say, find the seeds. So we brought out like a watermelon, and we cut it up and gave it to the kids so they could find the seeds in the watermelon. And we had strawberries, and I can't remember what else. We brought a whole bunch of different things with seeds so that they could find them. Well, the kids were begging to eat that produce, and they wouldn't let them eat it but because it had, you know, it was against their policy for the kids to eat stuff yeah. that didn't come in through their food program. So for once, we saw it sitting on the counter. The kids had some sort of gelatinized fruit stuff sitting on the counter in a little container, and that's what they were going to get. And it really broke my heart because I thought, well, you know, I have all this fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables. Who wouldn't want to eat them? They look delicious. You know, the kids are messing with them. They're smelling with them, smelling them. You know, they're excited about it, and they can't have it. And that's, that's a big breakdown, I think. Unfortunately, fortunately, things are changing in that arena now. You know, we're starting to see the Let's Move campaign and things, because when we first started three years ago, schools were allowed to have gardens, but the kids weren't allowed to eat anything in the garden.
0: Which that's just a scene on us. I don't even, I I don't get that. I don't understand. I, I'm a real big fan of the, unfortunately, it got canceled in the second season, the, the Jamie Oliver show with the Food Revolution.
1: I know, that's good, isn't it? I like that show, too.
0: I think they ran it in the wrong, you know, they ran it in the summer where it's kind of a weak time slot to begin with, or something. And I, I'm hoping like some kind of second, like you know, food channel or somebody picks it up. But to to, to let kids grow food and just say, but you can't eat it because you know, and usually it's some nonsense whenever that type of thing, bureaucracy comes in. It's just a safety concern. Well, it's probably safer than the you know 19 items that are listed in the ingredients on the food that we're eating anyway. Um, but you can imagine something that I think anybody that – if you want to get your kids to eat stuff from your garden, the starting place you just mentioned is strawberries. I look at strawberries. They're like the pepperoni of fruits. You know, like you oh, – think it, that's a good expression. I like that. You know, you take kids to the pizza place, and mom and dad want mushrooms and peppers. And, what do the kids want, plain cheese or pepper? And I don't know a kid in the world that doesn't eat pepperoni. And I think that's how strawberries are. You take any kid. do you want an apple? No. You want an orange? Ar- no. You want strawberries? Oh, I'll eat that. And – I, I don't think people realize this, but in, if you don't like make them swim in sugar syrup, strawberries are amazingly healthy. They're very low in sugar, very low in carbohydrates, but they have a ton of micronutrients. And if you can get them started, it's kind of like, if you get a snake that's not eating well, I keep snakes, and that's kind of an off-the-thing subject, but if you get them to take a small piece, you can just kind of, like, tie another one on the back and keep them going. And, and, and I think if you can get kids eating the strawberries, you can slip a pear or an apple in there, and next thing you know, you've got them onto a much better diet.
1: Well, I know that when we have children gardeners, what we like to send out, we like to send out the weird stuff they've never seen before to kind of trick them into eating vegetables. You know, they're growing now purple carrots or they're growing purple broccoli or the yellow cauliflower, something that isn't what they've seen before, and they'll be more likely to try it. Because, like, with my peas and with my pea story, when I saw that, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, and I know that a younger, less developed brain than mine would see it and totally shut down. You know, I at least had the good social grace to know I was going to have to eat it and be nice about it, where a child would just say no straight up. So we do try to send them some more interesting things, some things they haven't seen before, and plus some things they recognize that are, you know, pretty universally like like watermelon.
0: For the people that are out there thinking, you know, I'd like to do this and I'd like to start a garden in my own backyard, but I don't have a lot of space, do you guys provide some ideas, or maybe you can just give us some of your tips on how? Because I get it all the time. You know, I talk about gardening, and I've got five acres, and and, and I'm like going like small scale farmer with it now and all. And, but you know, I get an email from somebody. All I've is a back a balcony, or a, you know, a very small backyard, and I've got a lot of shade, or what have you. What are some of the things people are doing to? Uh, you know, they don't have a lot. A lot of these people you're helping out, they don't have a lot of resources. So how are they uh, making use of what they have?
1: Well, you know, people have more land than they think a lot of times, we do encourage people to grow in their front yards if that's allowed in their community as well. We can grow quite a bit there. For our apartment gardeners, we work with two websites that are support for our container gardeners, and that's uh, urbanorganicfarmer.com and lifeonthebalcony.com. And both of those websites teach people how to grow a lot of vegetables and fruit and things like that, flowers even, in a really small apartment space. We have a volunteer who works with us who gardens on her headboard in her bedroom because she doesn't have room outside. If there's a will, there's a way. If you want a garden, we can help you figure it out. We also um,
0: – can, oh, can you give me those two websites again? I don't want to cut you off. Okay. From, um,
1: no, it's no problem because I forgot what I was going to say. It was Urban Organic Farmer. Okay. Oh, wait, Urban Organic Gardener, sorry. Urban Organic okay. okay. And LifeOnTheBalcony.com. That was the other one. And, yeah, and they support our container gardeners. Yeah, but there are also options of going out in the community and getting a community garden plot. A lot of food banks offer them. A lot of churches offer community garden plots. And if your church doesn't, this might be something to ask them about. Um, A lot of parks and rec departments. I know where I used to live in Virginia, you could rent a garden plot for $10, and that included water for the whole season.
0: Yeah, you know, you just said something that I've always thought about, and I've never, like, made a big push, and maybe I should, that um, I I drive by – um, you know all all different kinds of places all the time, but in america there there's two buildings that generally are really big, and one is churches and the other one's banks and that might say something about uh two different mindsets but most of the time when I drive past churches, what I notice is that much, most churches have quite a bit of land, some don't, but most do, and a lot of times I see this great big grassy field, and I think even if the church wasn't, like, running the guards, if they just made some space available and, and you know, they're, good, they're doing good work, they want to help people, most of them do food drives and, and take clothes in for the hungry or, you know, for the poor and food for the hungry and all, and if they would maybe practice a little bit of that teach a man to fish thing and make some of that space available instead of growing Bermuda grass or Raleigh St. Augustine, grow some food. It might be a good use of that land.
1: Well, you know, we work with a lot of churches, and some of the churches we work with, are, their concern is just like I think most families are. Are you telling me that I need to go out and sell my whole backyard and then spend hours in the sun weeding and things like that? And, you know, that's certainly not what we want because what they're envisioning is a ton of work, and it's going to fall on the overworked church staff anyway, and then it's going to look ugly. What we recommend to churches and what we've seen be very, very successful is a square foot gardening plots. We're working with a church right now, and they were actually featured in our CNN Heroes piece, you can see their garden, where they have, I think they started with 10 square foot gardens. Their gardeners, uh, share produce between them, and they donate it to other people in need, and then there was a, they had one garden patch, when I was out there, I was talking to the priest, and they had one garden patch that someone hadn't, hadn't been working with, and he said, they have people all the time come up and say, that one's empty, can I have it? You know, people want it, and it's, it's such an easy way to do it. People are at church anyway. You know, a lot of people go to church one, two times a week. You know, it's nice to get them out in their community, and it's a nice opportunity to give people who might not have something else to donate to their community, give them a chance to give back.
0: You know, and I just had a listener email me, and she has, like, five acres. she got her dream place, but she's a single mom, and she's, like, 50, and uh, her kids are pretty much grown and out the door, and she's finally gotten to this place, and she feels overwhelmed. And can't really make use of the land. And I, I suggested something to her that I think maybe you might work for churches here uh, with, with kind of the concern about the upkeep and all. And my thought was, well, why not put the beds in, and then instead of charging rent, you do it this way. For every bed you take for your own produce, you cultivate one, and that food goes back to the landowner, in this case the church who would donate it. So that yep, the people awesome. that are getting the space would take care of you know, two spaces and, and get all the production from one, and I think there's plenty of people that would line up to do it. I know that there's, you know, and the other thing I've noticed about most churches, and especially like suburban areas, they're generally not very far away from apartment complexes, and that's where the people that live in apartments are in apartment complexes that don't have the land. And it seems like, you know, I didn't have this plan or anything, it's naturally coming to me here, that that's, that's like two sides of a problem looking to make a solution together.
1: Well, yeah, I love that idea. i never thought of that, and I'm definitely going to suggest that when we send out seeds to some community gardens. It's just a wonderful idea. People want to give back. They don't want to just take all the time. And like you said, the church probably doesn't need the rent for the land, but, man, that food, the food they got from a plot would be worth far more than whatever rent they would be able to charge anyway.
0: Absolutely. That's that's why somebody would pay you for the, the, the space. So if, if you could get the money for the space, you could use double the space and get half the production. That, that seems to be a win-win for everybody, and then there's no money changing hands, so that helps with the whole not-for-profit thing. I want to bounce something else off of you. I don't know if you've seen this yet. There's a listener of mine, and I'm sure there's other people doing it, but there's a listener of mine named Larry Hall. He's got this cool stuff on YouTube, and he's building self-watering gardens using basically five-gallon buckets – um, very, very inexpensive uh, wick, you know, um, like slot baskets like are used in an aquaponic system. And you drill a hole in the bottom of the bucket. You do like a 2 and 7 eighths inch hole and stick a 3 inch one of these baskets down in there. And then you take a rain gutter and you fill it with water and you, and you build a platform. So there's like a, a 2 by 4 or 2 by 6 on both sides of the rain gutter. So there's a flat base. The bucket sits there. The dirt sits there. And if you hook something up that will fill the, the gutter, you, you don't even have to touch it. Other, otherwise, you fill the gutter maybe once a week. And the garden completely takes care of itself. I don't know if you've seen that kind of a setup. but I,
1: I haven't, but I would love to. I uh, would uh, love to. You'll have to send me the link.
0: I'll send you the link to that. And my thought is, like, done in, like, it, it, it does look like a bunch of buckets, right? But I'm going to do it on the side of my house. And what I'm going to do is basically, just the way you would skirt in, like, a swimming pool, uh, build basically a box that all the buckets go in, skirt that in, and it could be in a churchyard or something that would look beautiful. Um, but there's no weeding, there's no slugs, you know, there's because everything's independent. If you do get like a really bad infestation, that's a soil borne infestation, out comes that bucket, dump the dirt out, start over. And, um, it's one of the more innovative things I've seen.
1: Well, you know, that's what's so wonderful about gardening, especially now, So many innovations have come around. I mean, even if you just look at square foot gardening, which everybody looks at and says, wow, why didn't someone think of that years ago? It's so easy, and it doesn't take any labor, and I can just go out and do the fun part of gardening and not the horrible part of gardening, which is the tilling and the weeding and all that stuff. So that's awesome. I love that. And I want to look at and put that on our website for our gardeners, too, because they're always looking – for something new. You know, people don't have a ton of time, you know, and most of our gardeners are working one or two jobs. They have a couple kids. They're busy, you know, just like the rest of us, and they want to grow food for their family, and they want to do it in a way that's not going to steal all their time or break the bank, so that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I got another one for you that I'm kind of playing around with in a different way, but just, you know, bag gardening where you use a a bag of topsoil, cut the top off, and plant into it, but that can actually lead to a permanent garden, so one of the things I've seen people do that listen to this show is you take a sunny fence that gets good sunshine. You want to grow, let's say, something like a pole bean or anything with trellis up on the fence on, and you get a bunch of, and you do have the initial cost, but you can get them on you know, clearance sale, big bags of topsoil for five bucks, and you just lay them on the ground, cut them open, and grow in your first year, and the beans grow straight up out of the, the bag, and then at the end of that year, you've... Everything underneath that bag, all the sod or whatever has been killed and there's worms down there and you poke holes in the bag so that the drainage goes through. Well, at the end of the year, when you're done with your harvest, you just go back and take all the bags away and leave the dirt there. Now you have a perfectly prepared bed. You just plant into it and, you know, it's, it's, it's no dig. It's no work. It's just laying down some bags and planting some seeds.
1: Well, I've never seen it taken that far. I personally have gardened in the bag. I wish I had known about just leaving it on the ground and then taking the bag out. That's wonderful. Who doesn't like that? I mean, how awesome to have fresh produce and, like, practically no labor. Here, it, a bag of topsoil at my grocery store is $1.80 for 40 pounds.
0: Yeah, and you, you want to use something that's more, of like a, like, more like a garden soil, potting soil, than just a straight topsoil because there's no nutrient value, and I kind of used the wrong term. But but basically, yeah. Well, I put in my compost. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: add my compost oh, okay. every day, maybe a little if,
0: bit. If you hard. have your own compost and you mix it in with topsoil, that'll work too. And because of, like, especially, like, hot-weather vegetables, um, they go crazy. I planted like a big L-shaped thing on this piece of my land that's that's like white granite rock. And they've been there like three and a half, four weeks. And I've got zucchini that I planted from seed that's already putting on squash. I've got tomatoes, that I, and it's hot, right? I mean, this wasn't a good time. This is why I did it, because I got to my new place late. I've got uh, tomatoes that I put in that were two inches tall that are three feet tall, and they're just rolling in bags because they get that that warmth to their root system, and they get all the nutrient, and there's no there's no pest activity hardly at all. Nothing soil based anyway.
1: Yeah, and what a great way for people to start gardening. I know my friend Pamela from RedWhiteAndGrew.com. She always talks about that first tomato plant being the gateway drug to other gardening. <laughs> yeah, you get that I first tomato, that and then. Isn't that great? And then you just can't resist, Then you need some beans, and you need some cucumbers, and yeah. next thing you know, your whole yard is planted, and you're harassing your neighbors to put in some veggies, and, well, you know.
0: The reason I said I can't believe you use that word gateway drug is that, you know, I teach preparedness on the show, and gardening is a big part of that. And, you know, you lose a job, you have a garden, at least you're still going to eat. You know, that's yeah. that's the base level of it. But my my statement has always been that gardening is a gateway drug to prepping, because if you garden right... You're going to get more production than you can use when it comes. So some okay. of you may give away, but some of you are going to go, this might be nice to have in December when it's cold outside. So next thing you know, you're learning how to dehydrate, or you're learning how to can, or you're learning how to do both, or you're learning how to blanch and flash freeze. And then all of a sudden you have food in the house beyond what you need till next Friday. Well, that means... You're storing food, and if there's anything wrong, you have some food you can eat. Guess what? Now you're a prepper. Ah, gotcha. And and that's, that's exactly the term that I've been using for three years. Gardening is a gateway drug, and it's to a healthier life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the thing you said about the dehydrator is so funny because – I have two fig trees in my yard that produce hundreds of figs a year to the point where everybody's like, please stop bringing them over. And we donate them to the food pantry and we can them. And, well, then I decided I needed a dehydrator (laughs) because I saw, you know, people dehydrating. So I thought, oh, I should get one. Man, goodwill, seven bucks. It was awesome. Yeah, and the thing about getting the dehydrator at the thrift store is you have to know what they look like. (laughs) because <laughs> they look weird. So you you have to know, and I put a thing on our Facebook page that says, this is what it looks like. So if you see one at a yard sale, if you see one at the thrift store, you'll know what to do. People don't buy them because they don't know what they are. Now, here in Texas, we can also dehydrate just out in the sun.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, but, there's, you know, there's God's dehydrator. It's a great big giant ball of hydrogen and helium, and it does a really Yeah, here good in Texas, process. easy to do that here, absolutely. Absolutely, but in some places you really need – a dehydrator, very moist climates. It's, it, I get plenty of sunshine here in Arkansas, but I have relative humidity in the summer of like 82%. Oh, yeah.
1: so you're just gonna get You can do a solar
0: dehydrator, but you've got to build it. You can't just throw a screen out there and toss stuff on it because you're going to get mold before you get dehydrated. Now, zucchini dehydrated is awesome. That's how you make zucchini chips. And oh. you, know, you, you take your zucchini and, and you just sprinkle some herbs on it and you dehydrate them. And um, what I did learn... So if you want salted zucchini chips, take your dehydrated zucchini, mist them with a little olive oil, and add some salt on them when you eat them. If you salt them before you dehydrate them, you get zucchini leather, not zucchini chips.
1: Oh.
0: So you, you well, should you have, have a steak once.
1: That's good to know. And here's I have a zucchini story for you as well. I hate squash. I have always hated squash. Really? Because it's slimy. I had it once when I was about seven. And it traumatized me because it was so slimy and disgusting. A neighbor brought it over in a casserole. Oh, My well, mom you made it eat it to be polite. Had mush. It was disgusting. Well, then the other day we were doing a video for Dinner Garden about how to cut up squash. And they had the fresh squash there. And I had it fresh and said, how did I not ever like this? What Absolutely. have I been missing? All this? It was awesome fresh. I couldn't believe it. Why would anyone cook it? yeah or it's amazing
0: if you're going to use it in a cooked dish you do it at, like i did fajitas the other night we got, got a pot, pastured chicken and we we ate r- baked chicken the first night and then i took some of the leftovers and i cut up some bell peppers and zucchini for fajitas but like i got the peppers cooked the chicken heated up all season and you throw the zucchini and like when you pull it off and throw the lid on the pan for like 30 seconds just so it warms through and it's awesome but if you cook it yeah you're not going to like that it's it's squishy. It's not squash. It was gross. Really? Well,
1: I tell you this, and I have a zucchini tea now. I'm a fan, so I have one in the fridge right now. So I will. I'm going to dehydrate it today. So
0: yeah. You know, what kind of herbs do you put on yours? I I like to use like it depends on what you want, but like basil and and cilantro are great on it. Um, you can use dill. Uh, but okay, just, I have all those. just but just do not salt it when you dehydrate it because it draws the salt does its own drawing out. And if you've ever, like, seen, like, a fruit leather, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, it comes out more like that. Zucchini doesn't work that way. But if you don't put the salt on it, it gets crisp, almost like a chip. And uh, it's, it's just absolutely – it's a great way to get kids to eat them because they taste good. They don't taste like what you think of even with, with well, cooked zucchini. It's, and you cook, cut them about maybe a quarter inch thick because they're going to lose a lot. There's so much water there. A quarter inch mm-hmm. zucchini is going to come out almost like a paper thin lace potato chip but a hell of a lot better for you. And as far as anything you like, you know, whatever you like uh, on there. Well,
1: I'm excited about this now. See, it's like information from me and information from you. Cut the basil. Like,
0: use fresh basil because the basil's wet so it'll stick. And then when okay. they both dehydrate together, they adhere, it adheres to each other so it doesn't fall yeah. off.
1: Yeah, I'm going to do that. That's yeah. going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Well, you know, my kids, we always gave them, um, we'd make uh, beet chips. Yeah, they love them. That's one of their favorite things because it doesn't, you know. I mean, I, again, I had vegetable trauma in my childhood. <laughs> I had cookies, like the canned ones. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had those. They're horrific.
0: Yeah. And
1: um, <laughs> and you know, then you have them like as beef chips, and you think, wow, why have I been missing this all these so, years? So
0: I've never made those. So do you do the same thing. You just slice them thin, throw them in the dehydrator.
1: No, so we um, we roast.
0: Oh, you roast?
1: them in okay. a little olive oil, some rosemary on them. Okay. Put them in the oven. Oh, yum, delicious! It's like you're roasting potatoes.
0: I'll have to try that in the fall when I grow some beets. So I couldn't get a beet to germinate right now. If I if I did a rain I dance know, right? and and, and chanted I know and right. Put and in your fridge, water, right? <laughs> Indian tribes just to dance a circle around it, it still wouldn't germinate. But uh, I'll have to try those because I've not done those. So. Man, I, I, I always have fun when I bring gardeners on the show because we get to learn from each other. And I, I love what you're doing. So let, let's kind of wrap up with, you know, how people can help you and how people can get help from you. Because that's really, you know, your mission re- requires the two things. One is people that care and want to make a difference and people that need a difference made. So if somebody wants to help you out, how can they do that?
1: Okay, we always need donations. We need money to send stuff out. We need money to afford our supplies. There's a donate button on dinnergarden.org. We love donations. People can all, businesses and things can also sponsor us as corporate donations, and that's wonderful, too. We love that. Um, we have our business plans online, so anybody can, we're an open book, so you can see exactly what we're doing with the money and where it goes. um People who need help from us can sign up on our Need Seeds page. Now, we have been mailing them to people's homes. I'm working on a new system to try and get things out to people faster because we have had people on our waiting list for over a year, and that just breaks my heart. So I've been working with um, a friend of mine at Apple Harvest to try and figure out a way where we can get things out to people faster. If you need seeds, sign up on our Need Seeds page at DinnerGun.org.
0: Awesome. And I want to say something about helping out here and and how, how big of an impact it can have. The number you gave me, if I have it correct, was a dollar seventy-two to send out this packet of seeds. that right. will a lot of family—a uh, family of four—to to, to eat out of that dinner garden and do it, you know, year after year after year because they can save their seeds. Right. If I take twenty dollars and I divide that by a dollar seventy-two, I get eleven point six two and a whole bunch of numbers. So let's call it eleven. So, but basically, what that means is you can put food on the table for eleven families and some change with twenty bucks to the thedinnergarden.org.
1: Yeah, and if you, you, know what, can you can put food on the table. That'll keep it there. Keep food on their table for the rest of the family's gardening time.
0: And I know you can't say anything political, but I can, and I'm going to tell the listeners this: the $20 that you pay in taxes is supposed to go to feed people. Isn't going to feed one family for a day, and that's a reality. And this 20 bucks here can feed 11 families for a lifetime, and spread the message and and, and expand because. This is what I see when I see people start gardening. As they start to save seeds, they start to realize, holy crud, I can't possibly even use all the seeds I save. So the neighbor goes, what are you doing? And they go, I'm gardening. And they hand the little kid hands the old lady next door a tomato and she goes, I remember when I was a kid and I had a garden, and then next year when they start plants, they go, We started 14 tomato plants. We have room for five. Miss Smith, would you like some tomato plants? And Miss Smith's planting a garden. And It's not just the family that you put the seeds in the hands of. When you're using heirloom seeds that can be saved, that spreads out through an entire community, and one family on one plot of land can end up supplying seed through multiple levels to an entire community. So I can't recommend that you guys do what you can to help these folks out and help them do the good work they're doing at a higher level.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that endorsement. That's so nice. Thank you.
0: They don't come often. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't ask the listeners to get behind things like this. It's not like something I do every day. I can recognize things when they're really making a significant difference. My wife and I were talking about doing things to help people that were in this type of situation just a week ago, and next thing you know, this dropped in my lap. So I believe kind of in in fate entwining a little bit. So I'm, I'm very, very glad that we had you here And I'll tell you this, you are absolutely welcome to come back to the Survival Podcast and do another show with us any single time you want to.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And you know what? I would love to come back. You know what? I'm going to come back maybe in a couple weeks so we can talk about the zucchini chips I made.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. And, you know, like it doesn't have to be a full show like today if you want to do a 10-minute segment or a full show, either or. I'm just saying don't not come back because you don't think you have enough to talk about because I don't know. Frankly, I think you and I could get together and talk for an hour anytime anyway.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I never have a problem with enough to say. <laughs> well, folks, the site is dinnergarden.org. We had some great resources mentioned today. I'll make sure they're all in the show notes. I will tell you that the day that I saw these folks online, I went by their website and I, uh, I made a small donation to them. And I think if all of us make a small donation, they can do a lot with it. Let me put it to you this way. If uh, 11 people that are, 11 families that are fed for every 20 bucks, uh, if, uh, if uh, 20 of us do that, uh, that's uh, that's over 200 and uh, 220 some odd families, and I think we can do a lot better than that with about 25,000 of you out there that listen every day. So let's see what we can do to put some food on the table of America once again. We all talk about doing it for ourselves all the time. Let's help others learn to do it for themselves as well. And uh, with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Holly Hirschberg, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. pay, There's nobody up there cares, they're living for today.